Hello, and welcome to Smart Pill, a podcast where each episode delivers concentrated knowledge on one specific topic. The podcast is brought to you by the WHRO Emerging Leaders Board, a diverse group of young professionals who are passionate about bringing public media to the millennial generation. I'm your host, Nisha Witt, and you're listening to our Women Veterans series. Being in the military can be challenging, but being a woman in the military has its own unique set of challenges. In this episode, you'll hear two women veterans share their stories on what it means to be a woman in uniform. These stories are recorded live at the event Emerging Talks, Cloaked in Invisibility, presented by WHRO Emerging Leaders Board and Global Shapers Norfolk. Our first contributor is Renetta Van, a retired Navy captain with 37 years of service. She is currently working on the Waves to Warriors project, which documents the transition of female officers from supporting roles to warfighters. She spoke about the challenges of confronting and overcoming toxic cultures in order to succeed. Glass ceiling, glass shelf, glass bubble. I hoped my commitment and focus would mitigate the pending train wreck. Our second speaker is Tasha Hill, who served 11 years in the U.S. Army active and reserve duty. She currently works for the Department of Veterans Affairs as a management analyst, where she proudly provides exceptional guidance and support within the Education Service Department. She spoke about the challenges of being pregnant in the military and how 9-11 exacerbated that challenge. Just because my belly had finally blossomed into a shape of a perfect round volleyball was no exception to being exempt from duty. Enjoy the stories. Dangerous Tools by Captain Renetta Van. Talk about a challenge. I knew it was an unpopular decision to sanitize the Navy Squadron's tool room, but I didn't think it would be a dangerous one. Soon the hangar buzzed about my confrontation with the tool room's sailors. Maybe it provided a diversion from the upcoming command inspection, or maybe it was salacious. The Navy was only about 3% female in 1981, and women in operational commands were few and far between. Most women in the Navy bore the medical corps insignia of the oak leaf. For me, it was the five-pointed star of a general unrestricted line officer on my dress uniform when I was commissioned an ensign at Officer Candidate School in 1979. The line officer designation implied a warfare specialty, such as ships, planes, subs, with its requisite training and career pipelines for men. However, with laws restricting women from warfare specialties, it translated to administrative duties for the fairer sex. I felt like an outsider. A naval officer, yes, but lacking in expertise. Although it happened over 30 years ago, I remember the tension in the squadron when I was named division officer and my determination to do well, even if only an ensign on a second assignment. A Navy command inspection consists of a business audit of systems, training, and quality assurance. It was just Dirty Pool handing me this sad sack division less than two months before the inspection. Glass ceiling, glass shelf, glass bubble. I hoped my commitment and focus would mitigate the pending train wreck. During officer's call, the usual Monday morning meeting, the skipper emphasized the importance of looking good for this audit. The dozen department heads then harumphed in support. Twenty or so junior officers acknowledged this edict somewhat obsequiously, others sleepily. 
The box of donuts offered to lessen the sting of having to work Thanksgiving was empty by the time it came to me. I drank coffee and tore at my cuticles. This ready room, with its torn leatherette couches and fluorescent lighting, smelled of Windex and powdered sugar. I left as soon as the weekly meeting concluded. I hurried down the steps, clipboard in hand. A quick left put me in front of the tool room with the squadron's blue and gold seal displayed on the bottom of the Dutch door. Six months. I had petitioned for this job since I reported aboard this logistic squadron in Coronado, California in the spring of 1981. I even submitted my request for the material control assignment up the chain of command to the commanding officer. The CO just laughed, relegated me to the mindless training tasks that took minutes of a day to complete, effectively stashed. I've since heard it called the rubber room. Japanese dub it the chasing out or boredom room. I pulled myself up to my full five foot six inches. Here's the designation letter from the CO. It was announced at quarters Friday and again this morning. Look, I began reading the name tag on his wrinkled chambray shirt. Stomp. I know the tool room's limit access. Believe me, I'll be the one, me, going to the skipper to down the planes if anything's unaccounted for. That's serious business. What's going on? A guarded voice came from behind Stomp. You're Higgins, right? The work center supervisor? He wiped his hands on a dirty rag. Yeah, what can we do you for? You've both been in a while, gone through an inspection before? The sailor shrugged. Stomp played with a too long mustache that looked painted unevenly on his mannequin pale face. Higgins stood a head shorter than Stomp, but with a compact wrestler's body and stubble on his chestnut, acne-pocked face. Like me, in their 20s. They wore dungarees, not the pickle suits, green one-piece flight suits of the pilots and aircrew. I looked at my clipboard. Have you seen the checklist the inspectors will use? No. Here's the tool room section. Pay extra attention to the references and their issue dates. Get the new ones and start making copies and putting them in their binders. And check out the new logbook format. These are easy discrepancies to fix. Low-hanging fruit. With about a month to the evaluation, there was no luxury of formal schooling for me or major corrective action for the division's two sections, material control, airplane fuels, supplies, financial functions, and the tool room. Although I'd been in the Navy less than two years, I'd seen this lack of planning already. A favorite military adage came to mind, the seven Ps. Proper prior planning prevents poor performance. I said, the CO knows that the tool room will fail. We haven't met the minimal performance standards set by our boss, AirPack. The main reason is not having an assigned officer in the material control billet for the past year. Out of my pay grade, Higgins said. I ignored that and continued. Here's my three-point strategy. Acknowledge the deficiencies. Have a written plan to show the inspectors what we'll do to correct these problems and apple pie. At their surprised looks, I added, nothing says sincerity like a slice of apple pie and a cup of joe. Ensign, like, if you can't blind them with brilliance, baffle them, Higgins said. Exactly. <laughs> Higgins smoothed back his shaggy black hair. How's this going to work? There's not much time. Good question. The maintenance officer confirmed that they're looking for what's on those checklists. Focus on the portioned highlights. That's a lot of stuff complained Stomp. 
Tell me what's realistic to complete in time for the inspection. Maintenance thinks we can still make a good showing. That will smooth the reinspection. The sailors looked exasperated. All right, let's see what you've got. This time, the half door swung open. The windowless area seemed cave-like compared to the well-lit hangar and brilliant San Diego morning beyond its bay doors. At his nod, I scanned the room. Whoa, what's this? Posters of playboy bunnies in exotic places, in exotic poses. My eyes didn't know where to rest. On every wall, I saw nothing but full-color posters zeroing in on female parts, like blown-up Georgia O'Keeffe flowers at a raunchy nightclub. <laughs> These were unsettling. But I considered it part of the process as women entered more male sanctuaries. I usually ignored the rude behavior, the wolf whistles, or sailors yelling, join the Navy, ride a wave, <laughs> from buses and pier. <laughs> Humor could be effective too. For example, Sue, the department secretary at my previous command, shared whatever gossip was circulating about me. I took it as a challenge to outrumor the rumor mill. <laughs> One week, I encouraged Sue to say I might be pregnant. Another week, that I was gay. <laughs> Gentlemen, these have to go. What do you mean, Stomp protested. Yeah, Ensign, the girls have been here a long time, added Higgins. Even this, I pointed to the 1982 Playboy calendar. Oh, no, that's new. I bought it at the exchange for next year, Stomp snickered. Like you said, be prepared, said Higgins. Come on, you can't have TNA in a place of military business. I almost said that I was the only TNA authorized in the tool room. <laughs> Seeing them shake their heads, I tried again. This stuff, what's the phrase? Belies good order and discipline, like the Z-grams about equality? What? Z-grams, from Admiral Zumwalt. When he was chief at naval operations, he pushed for better treatment of minorities. I gestured to Higgins. Surely a, dec a decade of policy statements and sensitivity training had made a dent on our fighting men, even on the well-known machismo of aviators. I twiddled with my standard issue gold ball earring. I'm not saying you have to throw them out, just get them out of here, off the squadron's property. Even the calendar? Stomp asked, looking to Higgins for support. Higgins smiled. Come on, Ensign, what's the big deal? Everybody has seen them and no one else has complained. My voice had an edge now. Were they trying to cajole me? That's Old Navy, Higgins. You as a supervisor especially need to get with the program. Everything that's not government issue, out. I remember asking people, senior officers, older enlisted men, wives, during my first tour, if Naval Station Guam represented the Navy. Oh, no, this isn't big Navy, and the real Navy would never put up with whatever the situation was. They assured me that San Diego manifested the real Navy. Yet, this unit in San Diego also stymied my development as an officer. The Navy put me in positions, for whatever reason, without the professional care it afforded the men. But I succeeded on Guam and would here, too. Remove these cheesecake shots, too, I said, tapping the desk's photos with my nail-bitten fingers. Was that orange grease pencil scribbled on the wall? I recognized it as the same type used by my dad for marking vehicle specs. 
5, 10, 15, the number of tools checked out, repaired, requested, then why were the names of the tool room guys there too? If these sailors were quick to offer reasons for keeping the girly posters, they were reticent about these tick marks. It's a race, Sensen Van, like a contest, Stomp said. This is a really boring place. San Diego is boring. <laughs> I remember that I couldn't wait to get to the Golden West Coast. My hometown in New Jersey is smaller than this hangar, and I just came from a tour on Guam. Don't tell me about boring. <laughs> Finally, it came out that the tool room guys were seeing who could get the most tail in a three-month period. They were sheepish at first, then became emboldened, tripping over each other in their eagerness to share, to shock me. Then the ultimate. What did I think? Was I interested? This was just like the head games played on Guam. The monthly social functions occurred at the top of the Omar of Officers Club, which commanded a panoramic view of Guam's Apra Harbor. Attending several of these taught me a harsh social construct. If I came alone, I must be a lesbian, a social misfit, or a loser. If I brought one or another guy, a social reprobate. Show up with a fellow a few times and it became grist for the mill whether we were a good match. I squashed the idea of being an orange tick mark on the wall double quick. They assured me I was not the first to know about this scorecard. It had received a nudge, nudge, wink, wink, and it became a uh, boys will be boys response since the contest began. The guys asked who's winning, what's the score when they come for tools, said Higgins, crossing his arms. Even the officers. Everyone knows that the barracks is kind of wild. You've seen it when you've come through at watch office. You're the only one hung up about this. Yeah, Ensign, what's your problem, said Stomp. All the posters, every bit, and your little game too. Clear it all out of here. You got a big chip on your shoulder there, Ensign. None of the other girl officers care about it, and they're pilots, real officers. <laughs> there you go, I thought. Even the most junior enlisted didn't see me as a real officer. I might feel a surge of pride and power whenever I donned the uniform, but others saw me as inconsequential. The gloves were off. <laughs> tomorrow. I want them gone by noon tomorrow. I ordered, turned on my heel, and left the tool room. Better watch that fancy red MG of yours, I thought I heard one of them say as the Dutch door slammed behind me. Be careful, little ensign. I didn't feel like a statistic in somebody's PowerPoint presentation on equality. I was painfully aware of being only 22 and in a jam. My insides were tense as a tripwire on a carrier. I hoped the wire wouldn't part while I was on duty. Crying at home was one thing. I often did it, but not in uniform and certainly not in front of men. I was not surprised when no changes were made in the tool room by the deadline on Tuesday. I gave one more order, remove the porn within an hour or I would tear them down and tear them up. I did not allow for any explication this time and the sailors did not challenge me. When I returned, the posters, the photos on the desk, the sex tallies, every bit was gone. At least it was not in my tool room anymore. The entire squadron churned and burned double shifts and weekends preparing for the inspection. The command grew increasingly tired and tense and I wasn't the only one to bristle at my CO-mandated escort that bracketed 14 and 15 hour days. 
I focused on improving my division's compliance with the inspection standards. The results of the inspection were as predicted for my division, and I was pleased. My material control shop passed with good marks. While the tool room failed, the evaluators praised my remediation plans and the progress made under my charge. They even complimented the tool room's professional appearance, very squared away. I never did ask which sailors won their contest. Some things are better left unsaid. Black Boots, Red Blood by Tasha Hill. One full year Oconus outside the continental United States and my very first deployment is Mannheim, Germany. Turley Barracks, 181 Transportation Battalion. Deutschmark, the official currency with the American dollar high in strength. A meldorious essence in the air could only be described as a cross between boiled peanuts and a brewery or either dog food. The world's largest Volkfest held annually, otherwise known as Oktoberfest in the United States. Beer at abundance is the obvious beverage of choice by the locals and is also undisputedly a welcome pleasure adopted by most army soldiers alike. I, on the other hand, was one of the few who stood out like a sore thumb, not at all impressed with the excitement for celebrations by intoxication, nor did I find an interest in consuming the highly sought-after adult-quenching drink. One year prior, as soon as setting foot on European soil, I had immediately enrolled at the University of Maryland, Europe College, ready to rock and roll to attend courses. So drinking and partying just wasn't my forte. Many of my fellow peers during this time may have never understood this about me, but my goals for self-improvement and success were set high. As I was determined to obtain a promising future, now realistically in arm's reach. The feeling of this possibility allowed complete liberation, which consumed my spirit. Often invited to social gatherings, which involved drinking, I chose to pass on what I had realized was the beginning of a system that would manifest itself into years to come. Being one who avoided following the crowd quickly marked me as a stiff, old lady, prude, and just strange. It was actually comical to some when observing me rush off to class during our downtime as social gatherings took place. But I was proud and tried my best not to worry much of what my fellow soldiers thought of me during those times. Although it did come with a heavy price and affected my social interactions or lack of acquired <laughs> throughout my full deployment duration, but a few great ones were made. Most battle buddies never truly uh, took the time to get to know one another past common interest anyway, so by this time, I was convinced that the majority of others would have never understood my personal determinations and mission in life, or that they actually even cared to know. I had different dreams and desires, which were non-negotiable plans to live up to my fullest potential. I also had a deep desire to receive love and give it in return. I wanted to care for someone other than myself for many years, and the early childhood education studies obtained, as well as 
volunteer work that I dedicated myself to prior to joining the military just didn't fill that void. The majority of days in Mannheim could expect an eerie gray or dreary loom in the air, but the energy of the soldiers could be felt throughout the military base with full excitement, curiosity, pride, and dedication. We all worked hard and somehow found the time to play hard. Daily wake-up call, 0500. The battalion motto, Hi, rollers, lead the way, roll them out. Local deployments regularly consisted of Poland, Nuremberg, Stuttgart. The winter weather, it graced us with cold winds that sliced through our BDUs and black combat boots, unapologetically bleeding red blood on the frozen soil, with no mention of origin or skin color in remembrance to those that shed before us. Training and execution of missions filled each day, setting up tents, cleaning weapons, or managing supplies, NCOs conducting field exercise, and all other logistical duties were just daily routine. Army transportation vehicles, maintenance, and daily missions, they all kept us busy and somehow out of trouble. All could have seemed to be a bit punishing or tedious task in that 18-degree weather. At least once a day, you can count on a five-mile run on cobblestone roads. If you were lucky, you'd get an NCO or a platoon sergeant that chose to take the battalion or the platoon on a a shorter run from the barracks to downtown Mannheim and back. There was also much time to take advantage of local um, eats and travels, as enjoying Wiener schnitzels <laughs> or excursions to Spain and Italy were simply breathtaking experiences. A little over a year later in country, engaged now, six months filled with life, growing inside of my belly. Zero four hundred hours, September 11th, 2001. Earlier than the, the Reveille song that blasted throughout the outside so- um, sound system speakers on the field, Soldiers are up and rustling around the barracks, and there is an odd, eerie sense in the air. The chatter and the conversations manifest anxiety and disbelief. My roommate has turned on the television, and American Force Networks, AFN, is displaying a surreal sight on the screen. As I get up and walk over to get closer, just to get a closer look, I become frozen with fear. The small bump protruding from my torso is not large enough to prove that I am with child. The life inside me tightens and I naturally place my palm onto my belly to comfort the tense feeling as I attempt to comprehend what is actually taking place. New York City, my place of birth, and high school friends, family, and home The iconic Twin Towers stand audaciously, and as an airplane crashes into the North Building, I think to myself, is this some strange nightmare? Am I really seeing what is taking place? Just a few hours earlier, I had been consoled by one of my best battle buddies, Specialist L. She and I established a friendship that was indescribably different compared to the other soldiers. 
She was kind, thoughtful, and understanding. I didn't know it back then, but her motherly instincts and life experiences allotted her the knowledge, wisdom, and advice that she shared with me. Around 2,400 hours, and I couldn't sleep, she spotted me walking throughout the halls of the barracks, rubbing my belly with exhaustion on my face and tears in my eyes. She immediately asked me, what was wrong? And I began to cry as I explained, my stomach just won't stop growling. It hurts from hunger pains, and I just ate a sandwich an hour ago. I'm so sleepy, and I can't get any rest from the pains. I wanted to get some rest before it was time to wake up for formation, but feared that I may oversleep again. I didn't want disciplinary actions to t uh, taken against me. Besides, I had already been warned several times for my tardiness and feared receiving an Article 15. I carried my temporary profile around with me wherever I went, but there were many leaders and battle buddies alike who doubted my pregnancy since my stomach was not protruding just yet. Specialist L, she smiled warmly and invited me into her barrack room door, and she offered me to take a seat and proceeded to whip up a delicious meal on her unauthorized hot plate as we gossiped about the daily events. A solid meal that finally soothed the aching hunger pains from the fetus growing inside me gave me comfort. And after I helped her clean up, I was able to swiftly fall asleep, but only to be awakened again by this tragedy now. Each day following was uneasy and unpredictable. Although our leaders displayed exceptional merit of confidence and strength, I was able to see through their facades. They too were afraid and baffled as they attempted to search for the correct words of consolation needed to flow from their frozen tongues. Although we naturally understood what this all meant, most soldiers had one pressing common question. How will we prepare for battle? All of our equipment was green camouflage and battle fatigues, the traditional greens. Our boots black leather issued. So if and when we were to deploy to Iraq within a matter of time, we feared that we would not be inconspicuous at all. We were reassured that it was only common sense to be allotted time to prepare and have new uniforms as well as battle equipment issued prior to an actual deployment. This was somehow slightly settling to know as the realization of what we all signed up for begun to settle in. Personally, the emotions felt were unexplainable. My fiancé was an infantry truck driver for the Army, and short of two months later, his company and others began to ship out on local deployments. The fear that crept up from within paralyzed me with worry. I immediately searched deep within and reminded myself that I needed to think, feel, and be positive. I had no time for negative energy and owed it to this baby. The next few months were chaotic, and the military base required 24-hour guard duty. Just because my belly had finally blossomed into a shape of a perfect round volleyball was no exception to being exempt from duty. So by this time, I had been issued my maternity BDUs and was required to stand guard duty. A full platoon would be on shift and staked out in tents on the grounds. Portable heaters worked overtime to attempt to provide us heat. 
my body swollen and fatigued as I pushed through the demands. My baby and I stood strong and tall in my black boots, guarding the post. M16 weapon gently resting on my stomach while the Sandman played games with my senses. Some soldiers were unhappy to witness this event and even insisted that they take over my shift at times. I'm grateful to them and their empathy and wondered just how I made it through. Some say that my rich blood and strength wouldn't allow me to give up. You've taken your Smart Pill and you're better for it. Smart Pill is brought to you by the WHRO Emerging Leaders Board, a diverse group of young professionals in their 20s and 30s who believe in the power of public media to make their voices heard. The podcast is recorded in conjunction with the Emerging Talks event series, bringing critical information and important conversations to people in Hampton Roads and across the country. The podcast is produced by Keith Darrow, Louis Estrada, Truly Matthews, John Miller, and Nisha Witt, and produced in association with WHRO. Sound recording and technical assistance by Victor Bowen. Special thanks to WHRO Director of Community Engagement, Nancy Rogan, and the WHRO Marketing Department. On behalf of the Emerging Leaders Board, I'm your host, Nisha Witt, and I will talk to you again when it's time to take your smart pill.